The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Good morning. My name's Emily. I'm the care coordinator, if we haven't met. I'm on the care team with Buzz and Todd, and we really are here for you guys. So if you, if you need us, reach out, all right? Today's scripture reading is from Acts 1, 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be to Christ. Christ. Thank you so much, Emily. Uh, So one of the hardest things about living in a fallen world is to become disembodied from or physically separated from uh, the people that we love. Uh, There's a hole in the heart that that results when we are separated uh, unwillingly from the people that we love. Uh, This has been a theme in different ways in the Saul's home in the past few years. Our nest of four, for example, in the past few years has gone down from four in the home to two because girls have gone off to college, started careers, and so on. The nest is still full with two of us, but we miss two of our people uh, on a regular basis, on a daily basis. Uh, Most of you know that uh, not long ago, just over a year ago, I lost my mother uh, to Alzheimer's. I actually lost her, started losing her about 11 years ago to Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, but we finally lost her uh, a, a, just over a year ago, and, uh, and we are absent from her, and she is absent from us. Uh, a couple of my friends, uh, both pastors in the last two years, uh, died premature, tragic deaths, and we have been disembodied from them. This has been a crazy season of disembodiment for all of us. Uh, it, on a number of levels, social distancing, separation, etc. And uh, what I want to say to begin this series is that when you feel lonely for the people that you love, it's not because there's something wrong going on inside of you, it's, it's because there's something right 
going on inside of you. All the way back to the beginning, before things went wrong, before sin came into the world, before the fall of humanity and, and the cratering of, of creation happened, God spoke his very first recorded negative statement when he said, it is not good for this man, Adam, to be alone. And then God brought in a solution. He, he brought in a marriage. He brought in children. He brought in a growing community around him because we are not meant to be disembodied. We're created in, in the image of a God who is both one and three. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God's ultimate answer, though, to this ache of loneliness that comes from disembodiment, his ultimate answer was to send his son in the form of physical presence. During the Advent season, you're going to hear the word incarnation repeated uh, over and over again. And incarnation was, as the first chapter of John's gospel says, when Jesus became flesh, when the word, when God became flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. And then Jesus died and was separated again from his disciples. And then on the third day, he comes up from the dead, and it's very bodily. It's very physical. His, his actual body comes up from the dead, appears to his disciples. He says, here, Thomas, touch, look and touch and see that it is I. And then we're promised now that we've been disembodied from Christ again, that when he returns for his second and final time in glory, we will be with the Lord forever. It will be an embodied presence, never to be separated from him or from one another again, those of us who are in Christ. So one key doctrine, I've talked about the resurrection, which we get Easter from, I've talked about the incarnation, which we get Christmas from and Advent from, but one often neglected key doctrine of Christianity is the ascension of Christ, and that's when after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven, sat down at the right hand of God, started praying for us uh, to the Father. He's never stopped, but he was disembodied from us again. Such, so important is this doctrine that it made it into the Apostles' Creed, where it says that he ascended into heaven. Now, now this would have been very confusing to the disciples. It would have been confusing for Jesus to remove himself. And, and, and to add to the confusion, Jesus answers that distress by saying to his disciples, it is good for you that I should leave. And then Mary Magdalene grabs onto him because she doesn't want him to leave. And, and Jesus says, Mary Magdalene, you must let me go so that I may ascend to my Father. And in, in, in letting go of Jesus, one of the commentaries said, it actually opens the door for Mary Magdalene and others to have more of Jesus, not less of him. Because when Jesus ascends to heaven, that is what flips the switch. Uh, that is what ignites this reality of the Holy Spirit being sent into the world and into the hearts of God's people. He's no longer locally contained in one human body. Now he is globally and even cosmically not only present but reigning and ruling everywhere through the Holy Spirit. That's why it says in verse 8, you will receive power. The Greek word there is dynamis. We get our word dynamite from that word. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So when the Holy Spirit comes, the presence of Jesus pervades the earth. 
And he does that through his word and through his people primarily. And his three offices of prophet, priest, and king are then, are then uh, sent into the world, again, through his word and through his people. And so I want to go through those three offices of Christ and how they are actively, uh, you know, alive and, and, and on the move uh, since Christ has ascended into heaven and sent his spirit. First, the cosmic prophets. So, again, in all four of the Gospels, the, the entire ministry of Jesus uh, is localized. He's a, he limits himself uh, into being at one place at one time only when, when he walked among us. Listen here to Luke in, in uh, verse 1, where he says, In my first book, Theophilus, who's his audience, in his first book was the Gospel according to Luke. So this is, a, um, this is a two-part book. There's the Gospel according to Luke, and then there's the book of Acts. In my first book, in the Gospel according to Luke, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication there is that there is work that continues from Christ through the apostles, as it says in verse 2. And the primary work that we get from the apostles is the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God. And now here we are 2,000 years later, and the apostles' ministry continues through what we now know as the Great Commission, where Jesus says here, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. And, and here we are in the United States of America, which did not exist when Jesus spoke these words, which was not inhabited when, as it is now when Jesus spoke these words. Here we are at the ends of the earth, just like he promised, opening his word, receiving the ministry of the Holy Spirit through his word together over 2,000 years later. And, and all or part of the Bible is acting this way all over the world right now. The prophetic ministry of Christ is happening right now all over the world right now because that very word from the apostles, the Bible has been translated into 3,415 languages, either all or in part. It's everywhere. Now think about this. Imagine yourself as one of Jesus' original audience, you know, hearing the Great Commission for the first time. You've got 12 people you got 12 disciples. They're, they're actually misfits. They're weak. They don't have networks. They, they are, some of them, socially awkward and even inappropriate. And Jesus says to them, you may not have competence, but you have a promise. And that promise comes from me. You, with this word I'm going to entrust to you, will change history. You 12. You're going to change the lives of individuals. You're going to change communities. You, your words are going to change and transform entire civilizations through the corridors of future history because there's power in the prophetic ministry of the Word of God. The world's top universities are going to be founded because of your words. This thing called the hospital is going to be invented because of your words. Slaves all over the world are going to be emancipated and set free because of your words. Evil empires will be reduced to rubble during every epoch of history because of your words. Marriages are going to be healed. Broken people, places and things are going to be mended 
torn fabric is going to be sewn back together because of your words. Twelve people, twelve misfits, without resources, networks, connection. How on earth could this be? Because the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the word that Christ gave to them is dynamite. It's power. And it will detonate every time you speak it. It will detonate every time you teach it. And it will have a lasting impact on the world. So, so let's look at the fruit of Jesus' promise. Today, the Church of Jesus Christ is the largest and the most influential organization in the whole wide world. Today, the Church of Jesus Christ is still growing, especially among those churches where the scriptures, the Bible, the 66 books are still regarded as fully inspired by God, as inerrant, as infallible, unable to make a mistake, unable to get it wrong in any time, season, or culture or part of the world on any subject about which it speaks. Where the Bible is held in that regard, where the Holy Spirit is honored and respected who inspired the Bible, is held in that regard, and, and, and with that level of high esteem, things explode in, in, in a growing sort of way. And what if I were to tell you that the same power that the apostles had is also in you, and it's also in me, and it's also in us? We may doubt our own usefulness. And we think, I, I, I feel self-conscious to even talk about Scripture and Jesus and God in a small group Bible study or at church. And, and, and I actually feel terrified to, 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 to open the Bible around a, a dinner table with family members or roommates. I, I just feel like I'm bumbling if I open it and I read it and then comment on it. I don't know what to say. I feel weak. I feel behind. I feel ill-equipped. Here's the promise. When you speak Scripture, you are an agent that releases the power of Christ into the world, period. And we can know this because the power is not in the messenger. The power is not in the speaker. Remember, there's Kevin Twitt over there, uh, David Filson up in the, in the balcony, Todd Teller baptizing people today. We all went to seminary together, and one of the, uh, one of the books that our preaching professor, Dr. Brian Chappell, assigned to us was a book called Between Two Worlds by John Stott, whom Nathan Tasker used to serve with in England. And it's a book for preachers about preaching. And, and one of the anecdotes that he tells in that book is that the most impactful sermon in terms of the feedback he's gotten from people who have said, that sermon is the one that changed my life. That sermon is the one that, that reoriented the entire trajectory of my world. It was the sermon that he spoke at a gathering where he had laryngitis. And he could barely eke out the words, and he felt so ashamed and embarrassed as he, as he you know, sort of left the podium. And, and, and from that point forward, that was the sermon that made the most difference of them all. Because the power is not in the messenger, it's in the message. I think about this even with, with our own kids. Parents, if you think your kids are bored with church, if you think they're bored with, you know, Bible reading and stuff like that at home, keep at it. Keep it up. 
They probably are bored, but, but boredom is not a reason to quit stuff, right? You don't tell your kids to stop doing math because they're bored with it. You know there's a greater good that, 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 that compels you to compel them to keep studying their math. There are even higher stakes when it comes to life in the body of Christ and when it comes to life in the Word of God. The stakes are so high, and the power is there. I remember one of our daughters when she graduated high school, we didn't know if she was going to continue with the faith. We actually had some doubts that she was going to continue with the faith that we raised her in. And she actually became perhaps the most committed, you know, Christian in our household as soon as she left home. And not long ago, she, she said that over 95% of her worldview was shaped by her parents specifically her parents who brought her to church every week, whether she liked it or not, and, and her parents who talked Bible with her, whether she wanted to or not, and fought Bible with her when we didn't want to fight Bible. The disciples, in real time, they were all put to death. They seemed like a failure in re real time. All of them did. They were put to death for, for, for preaching the truth. Isaiah, from the Old Testament, the same. He was put to death. He was, he was actually sawn in two for preaching the Word of God. Isaiah, the one whose congregation shrank by 90% the moment he started as the preacher, and it never grew back. Isaiah, who experienced so much discouragement, so much rejection in real time, and now through the corridors of history thousands of years later, that same prophet who in the midst of those dismal preaching conditions still found it within his heart to say, when the word of God is spoken, it will never return void. It will never return empty. It will never not accomplish what dynamite accomplishes when it's detonated. Now Isaiah is the most quoted prophet in the New Testament. Handel's Messiah is built around his book, Poets, artists, songwriters, inspired by his vision thousands of years later. Because the power is not in the messenger. The power is in the message. And the message is Jesus. There's this place in Luke chapter 24, Luke's other book, where it says that there are, there are a couple of disoriented uh, Christian men. And, and Jesus, it says, opens the Old Testament with them. And, and it says, beginning with Moses and then the prophets and, 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 and moving forward, it says that Jesus showed them all that all the scriptures had to say concerning him. If the scriptures come to us from Jesus, they're inspired by him through the Holy Spirit, and then, then they're given, you know, they're given and delivered in such a way that they send us back to Jesus, who's the whole point of the thing. So the cosmic prophet, the word of God is dynamite. Then there's the cosmic priest, that we get to be for each other. It, Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. This is where Southern vernacular helps in translation. It says, y'all will be my witnesses. In other words, start your ministry of the word with each other. Encourage each other, build each other up, become the kind of family that speaks words to one another that makes souls stronger. Become the kind of family that everybody else wants to be part of because everybody else is shouting each other down. Everybody else is scolding and shaming and attacking and canceling other people. You encourage one another. You build each other up. You do that 
with the word of Christ. The reason why we do liturgy, the reason why we sing. You understand, my, my, my calling, the, the musician's calling, is not to deliver spiritual goods and services to spiritual consumers in the pews. It is to activate you to minister to one another. That's why we sing. That's why we sing. Hear the word of God in Colossians 3. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's a mutual ministry that God has called us to, and, and that God has called ministers and musicians and liturgists and others to facilitate among the people of God. So Bonhoeffer, in his famous book on community life together, which he wrote while teaching as a professor at an underground seminary in Hitler's Germany, writes these words, the Christ in our own hearts is weaker than the Christ in the word of our brothers and sisters' lips. Implied here is the reverse statement, that the, the, the that the word of Christ on your lips is stronger than the word of Christ in my heart. It's one thing for me to read it in a quiet place, to, to absorb it and receive it in that way. It's quite another for, for me to hear you speak it over me. One other place where I can think of the New Testament uses this word dynamis or dynamite is Romans 1.16 where it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which is the power or dynamite of God for everyone who believes. The essence of the gospel that Paul was talking about is this. The gospel means that God grants mercy to those who suffer, and he grants grace, forgiveness, and love to those who sin. Mercy to those who suffer, and grace, forgiveness, and love to those who sin. Another way of saying this is that your suffering and your sin, my suffering and my sin, this is what distinguishes Christianity. If you're, if you're kind of looking into Christianity, kind of exploring it, feeling it out, this is what distinguishes Christianity and Jesus Christ from every other religion and philosophy you'll ever hear. It's this right here. That your suffering and your sin motivate Jesus not to retreat from you, but to plunge in love toward you. Dane Ortland puts it this way. We cannot present a reason for Christ to finally close off his heart to his own sheep. No such reason exists. Every human friend has a limit. If we offend enough, if a relationship gets damaged enough, if we betray enough times, if we are then we are cast out. The walls go up. But with Christ, our sins and weaknesses are the very resume items that qualify us to approach him. How's that for an exhale? How's that for the pressure coming off? How's that for freedom? I read a tweet. I was wasting time scrolling through Twitter the other day and read a tweet from another pastor which turned that waste of time not into a waste of time because he said this. He's talking about the church at Corinth, which is one of the prominent churches in the New Testament. He said this, the same church that abused the Lord's Supper, where the wealthy snubbed the poor and let the poor go hungry. That same church that abused the Lord's Supper is 
the very church that gave us the perfect chapter on love. 1 Corinthians 13. As my wife likes to say, we are all a mixed bag all the time. The word of Christ on your brother and sister's lips is stronger than the word of Christ in your heart. I experienced this not long ago. Pastor David Filson popped his head into my office and said, how you doing? And I said, I'm actually having kind of a down day, kind of down in the dumps about a couple of things. And, and immediately David Filson started doing what David Filson does. Scott, you know, those big muscles of his, you are the beloved of Christ. You are adopted. You are redeemed. You are called by name. You are his. You are forgiven. You are righteous in the sight of God because of Christ. You are forever loved. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate you from, from the love of God in Christ. He just kept rattling off these identity statements of who you are in Christ. To reverse the negative verdicts of a crappy day. And it was that experience of the word of Christ in my brother's mouth, which is stronger than the word of Christ in my heart, that I was then given a similar opportunity with another person who reached out to me and said, I'm having a bad day. And, and I just rattled off all the same things that, that Filson drew from the Holy Spirit-inspired scriptures. And that person left encouraged with a stronger soul. This is the reason why we, we, we have things in the middle of our service during communion, like passing the peace of Christ. We really do want you guys to talk about the word of Christ that you've sung, that you've recited, that you've heard during the service, during that time. And don't waste that time by looking at your feet or, or leaving early or talking about other things. Like it's really meant to be an intentional time to build each other up, to detonate the dynamite in our midst, into each other's lives and hearts. That's why we also have learning groups and connect groups. The, the purpose of those groups are to get together and speak Bible and talk about Bible, to detonate dynamite in our lives. It's a powerful thing. Even when it feels like a weak thing, it's powerful. The Word of God will never return void or empty. The cosmic priest, we get to care for one another, in other words, and, and then we get to care for the world. Last one is the cosmic king. So, so in Advent, we'll remind each other often through singing that Jesus has come to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Now that, that's a loaded statement with 50 sermons in it. So I'm just gonna zero in on one aspect of the curse and that's the aspect of trial and temptation. I heard a teaching recently about Matthew chapter four and how Satan strategized to tempt Jesus Christ. And, and, and Satan uses the same methods on us. We give in, Christ didn't. But here's what went down according to this teaching. First, Satan began by socially distancing Christ from his neighbors, and from his friends. You know, I, I heard a pastor say once, I, I love everything about the ministry except the people part. And I think a lot of us have kind of grown into that mindset of, oh, I'm kind of getting used to this isolation thing. I really love just, just getting out into God's country where I don't have to deal with people. Here's the thing about God's country. That's where Satan took Jesus to tempt him. Took him out to God's country where there were no people, where there was no community, where all he had was the thoughts in his head. Your most vulnerable 
out in God's country, if God's country means where you're away from other people and don't have to be in community. And I realize there, there are wonderful reasons to get away and to get out and to receive and to soak it in. You know, God, God wants those kinds of, you know, in nature seasons, right? The heavens declare the glory of God as the Psalms remind us. But how did he tempt him? It's another question. Not with sensuality. You know, the person who gave this talk says, the devil did not take Jesus into the red light, red light district. He took him, took him into isolation, which I've already talked about. And then he tried to get into Jesus' head. He says, Jesus, I'll give you comfort at the expense of obedience. I'll give you power at the expense of surrender. And I'll give you safety at the expense of trust in God. Sound familiar? How did Jesus conquer all of these things? The word of God that was in his heart became the word of God that was on his lips. He spoke it three times to address every temptation. It is written, insert scripture, that he had in his mind and his heart and it's stored up there and treasured there. It is written, again, another scripture. It is written, another scripture, and then Satan fled. That's how he conquered, so that we too can conquer. Every sufferer I know that sings, it is well with my soul, or, you know, a love that will not let me go, these sufferers' hymns and these sinners' hymns, like there is a fountain filled with blood, these sinner and sufferer songs, those who sing those songs most robustly, when you ask, hey, what's your secret? How do you get joy in, in the face of your own sin and suffering? The answer is always, without fail, I've hidden the Word of God in my heart in, in some way, shape, or form. I've been a Bible reader, reader for 50 years, and, and somehow I got in there, and when it gets in there, you too are ready to become his witness, to detonate the power of God into the world. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for sending Jesus the word who became flesh, who made his dwelling among us full of grace and full of truth. He is our hope. The cosmic prophet whose word is everywhere, the cosmic priest whose encouragement is available wherever your people are gathered, and the cosmic king who rules in our hearts, who leads us not into temptation but delivers us from evil, and who rules the world with truth and grace to make the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. As far as the curse is found, we thank you for this. We thank you now for the supper. We've talked about the word of Christ in our hearts and on our mouths, and now you're putting the word of Christ in our mouths with the bread and the cup, and then into our bodies, and then out into the world in the strength that only you can provide. For this we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.